0: Welcome to Film Exploration with Ash Hari and today we'll be kicking off with Season 3 which will be on 70s movies and we will start with one of the greatest movies of all time. We're going to have a closer look into Mario Puzo's The Godfather directed by Francis Ford Coppola and starring Marlon Brando, Al Pacino, James Caan, Robert Duvall and Diane Keaton. Of all the decades that cinema has been alive, since the birth of moving pictures at the dawn of the 20th century up until now, the 70s has been, without a doubt, the most influential decade for cinema. It is, to me, the golden age of cinema. The 1970s started off quite shaky for America in general. Hollywood itself was feeling the repercussions of the financial crash and there was this sense of artistic depression buzzing around Hollywood. But nonetheless, the 70s in cinema proved to be resilient and stubborn and decided to push on and become more experimental and in fact loosen themselves up in elements that cinema was a little rigid on before. It expanded and experimented with sexuality, with language, the violence... This was a very important decade. It was monumental, especially coming off the 60s, where you had pretty much the opposite in this sort of hipster era of cinema and society. I mean, the 60s, it was the growth of rock and roll, change in genders, drugs were on a high. The hippie and civil rights movement were in motion. It was so laid back. 60s was the time to be alive. The culture and work ethic to making movies had changed. By the 50s, the greats were dying out and the 60s introduced this Hollywood new wave. It made the 70s more relaxed after the 60s to take more risks and to experiment with young filmmakers after the old style directors and movie makers were dying out. The great thing was that towards the end of the 60s, we saw a heavy glimpse of what to expect in the next decade and for decades to come. With some classics being introduced, mainly with new directors and producers coming into the limelight. We had this sort of peak of Hitchcock at the early end of the 60s, but towards the end, I mean, Stanley Kubrick with 2001 A Space Odyssey. We had Planet of the apes come out, which which was one of the best twist endings in history. The Wild Bunch, Bonnie and Clyde, The Graduate, all these films ended the 60s with a great indication of where we were going in the 70s. New filmmakers stretched the boundaries and these conventional standards of filmmaking throughout the 70s. The 70s began with, of course, the defeat at Vietnam, the Watergate scandal, the shooting at the Olympic Games at Munich, the increase in drug use flowing from the 60s heavily into the 70s. It was just chaotic. Government was in turmoil financially speaking the market was in trouble the war at vietnam and it just ended it was time to do things that couldn't be seen as ridiculous anymore because the world was becoming ridiculous so risks were being taken but it wasn't just seen as risk it was the norm because the world was absolutely in chaos and it became a trend to see what we could get away with in doing r- explorational stuff in moving pictures. I mean, look what happened in the 70s, the birth of Star Wars with someone called George Lucas in 1977, who was actually under the teaching of Francis Ford Coppola, who even pays tribute to his movies in Star Wars. George Lucas was 33 years old, 33 years old, and he made Star Wars. His best friend, you may know his name, Steven Spielberg, at age 27 in 1975, made a film about a shark terrorising a New York harbour Jaws he was 27 years old he made that film at that age risks were in motion and they paid off the 70s was about to change cinema forever and in 1972 a director by the name of Francis Ford Coppola Nicolas Cage's uncle Sofia Coppola's father who's the little baby getting baptised in the movie by the way Talia Shear's brother who's also in the movie made this insane gangster novel of Mario Puzo's The Godfather. And by the way, he insisted that it was called Mario Puzo's The Godfather, not just The Godfather. He needed his name to come before the title because the original screenplay doesn't even deviate much from the novel at all, which is really the case, which is not, I mean, sorry, it's not usually the case because it's so faithful to the novel. Most cases when a film's been adapted from a novel, it's completely different, but this one was completely genuine. So The Godfather, everyone knows the film, everyone knows the lines, everyone knows one or two famous scenes, but how many have actually seen it in one sitting, or seen it at all? So what is this film about? Michael Corleone, played by Al Pacino, is the young and innocent son of Vito Corleone, played by Marlon Brando, the head of the most powerful mafia enterprise in New York, and he returns home a war hero, determined to live a life of his own and not be mixed up in the family business. However... Tragic circumstances makes him face his true destiny in the Corleone family. This is the second highest ranked movie in history. Paramount were on Coppola's arse on this movie. The friction was ridiculous. They wanted him replaced. They cited him as inability to stay on schedule and to go over budget coppola completed the film ahead of schedule and below budget the budget was six million it grossed 135 million globally the highest grossing movie ever at the time that year in the us and canada the line, I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse, was selected by the American Film Institution on its list as one of the top 100 movie quotes. It was number two, right behind, frankly my dear, I don't give a damn, from Gone With the Wind. The early buzz for this film was so great, so ridiculous they planned a sequel even before this movie was released. Remember, Paramount was in trouble, financially speaking, so they needed a big hit. And they told Francis make this bloody, make this film violent we need something big and bold. It was certainly a game of Chinese whispers of this film being a bloodshed there was talks everywhere about this film at the time of the release and still today about how violent this film was in 1990 this film was selected for the national film registry it's now officially in the library of congress which is one of the highest honors for a film this film was nominated 11 times at the oscar winning free for best film best actor and best screenplay that's brando that's coppola that's Puzo. Stanley Kubrick called it the best ever cast in a movie ever. He even called the movie probably the best movie ever made. This film was already historic before it even came out. So let's take a quick look at the Oscars in 1973. So it was nominated 11 times, won three times. Marlon Brando won his second Oscar for Best Actor. He refused the Oscar when he won. He sent someone from an Indian tribe to grab the award and tell the Academy he refused the Oscar because of the treatment Hollywood have shown towards Indian heritage in movies. It was bold, it was brave, and it was admirable. It was great to see, and that's why people love Marlon Brando. He truly is the godfather. He doesn't play by the rules. And this was the only you know don't you know tip of the iceberg in towards the start of the controversy during the oscars despite top billing despite him playing the godfather marlon brando has less than 1 hour of screen time which is quite odd for a leading actor let alone oscar winning actor for that specific role i mean later on anthony hopkins won best actor for silence of the lamb and was on screen for merely 18, minute, uh, 18 minutes so it's definitely quality over quantity however this upset Al Pacino, who plays Michael, he, along with Robert Duvall and James Kahn, were all nominated for Best Supporting Actor for the same film. This had not happened before to this degree. I mean, a lie. I mean, it happened only twice before where two or three actors were nominated in the same category for the same film. I think three were nominated in 1935 for Mutiny um, on Bounty, Mutiny on a Bounty. Uh, and that was a uh, Clark Gable was in it, and I can't remember the other two. And then it happened again in a film, funny enough, with Marlon Brando in it, where he won his first Oscar in *The Waterfront* in *On* on *The Waterfront*, which is why it's so coincidental. And then to add even more flavor to this, it happened for a fourth time with *Godfather Part Two, where three people were nominated for Best Supporting Actress in that movie. It was bonkers. So Al Pacino was furious. He was convinced he was the lead. He had more screen time. This film is about Michael, not Vito. And he didn't even come to the ceremony because they wouldn't acknowledge him as the best actor. It was best supporting actor. Instead, it was co-stars and supporting actors. None of the three even won. They had a 60% chance of winning, and they didn't. I think it was the guy from Cabaret who won, Joel Grey. And in fact, Cabaret won eight Oscars that night, including Liza Minnelli, making it more successful than The Godfather at the Oscars, who won only three. It did, however, win Best Film, though, so I think Godfather still trumps it. And speaking of coincidences as well, so Al Ruddy was the producer of this film, and when Clint—I uh, think it was Clint Eastwood—presented the award for best film, he handed it to Al Ruddy first, whilst I think Coppola was uh, busy doing his speech, which was quite fitting because thirty-two years later, both Al Ruddy and Clint Eastwood would later team up again for Million Dollar Baby, which ended up winning best film as well at the Oscars. Another coincidence to this Oscar story revolving around the godfather and despite this film being ranked the greatest movie of all time it's the only best film in that entire decade that didn't win best directing for a film that had won best oscar which was quite annoying and it doesn't even end there as well nominations were withdrawn as well the musical score for this film by composer nino rota turned out to be part of another score from a film he did previously i think the film was fortinella in 1958 anyways learning this the academy refused to nominate him even though he had won the BAFTA, the Golden Globe, amongst other awards for the Godfather theme. But then they used the exact same theme for the second movie, and he won an Oscar for it two years later. So it was a bit stupid not to acknowledge him for the first movie with the exact same score. And staying on theme with the Oscars, this film only until recently was the only film to have two actors win separate Oscars for playing the exact same character, which was Vito Corleone. Brandon Brandon, uh, Brando obviously won here in The Godfather for Best Actor for playing for Vito Corleone. And then Robert De Niro played a younger version of him in the second movie and won Best Supporting Actor. So this was done once again when Joaquin Phoenix last year, or this year, won Best Actor for playing the Joker, a role Heath Ledger won a Best Supporting Role in The Dark Knight. And it's interesting because out of the four you know Marlon Brando Robert De Niro Heath Ledger and Joaquin Phoenix only Joaquin Phoenix personally accepted the award in person Marlon Brando of course refused it Robert De Niro was busy filming and of course Heath Ledger tragically died the year before he could accept it so I'll venture on into other aspects of The Godfather now but during filming actually um, oh just one last thing actually Coppola had written um, Patton, a film he did in 1970 just two years before and he won a best writing Oscar for the movie but he was obviously too busy filming The Godfather to accept the award. So following on this trend here but when he did finally receive his statue he put it in the movie it was on the nightstand where we see the infamous dead horse scene. So look out for it when you uh, next watch The Godfather it's a real Oscar it's actually his Oscar from Patton. So, actually, speaking of that, let's talk about the horse scene, which is very iconic. Everyone remembers that scene, the music, the blood, the big reveal under the duvet, and then you see the horse's head. And it was a real horse's head there, and it got a lot of criticism, as you can imagine, with animal rights activists. And simply put, Francis Ford Coppola was taking none of it. He basically said people had been strangled, shot, stabbed, blown up in this movie. And what the main concern here was, was the horse. And it wasn't just even outside the movie with critics and activists. It was on the set as well. Everyone was upset when the head arrived on set to film the scene. There were a lot of animal lovers who had little dogs... But what they didn't know, which Francis Ford Coupler was very intrigued to tell them, was that the horse's head had come from a pet food company who slaughtered 200 horses a day just to feed dogs, which was quite interesting. Obviously, that stirred a lot of things up, but it did fundamentally just hype up this movie even more than it had been, which is sad to say, but it's the truth. During rehearsing this scene, however, they actually had a fake horse head and told the actor in that scene that's what they were going to use. However, when they shot the scene, when it came time to film it, they switched it with the real one, with real blood, real everything. And the scene was completely genuine when he is screaming because he knew the second he uncovered it, it was a real horse's head. This film was revolutionary for its time. Like I said, it was a six million budget, I think. Al Pacino, James Kahn, and Diane Keaton were all paid $35,000 for their work on the film and I think Robert Duvall got like an, a grand extra I'm not sure why he did but I think for the second movie when it came out Al Pacino got a pay rise and even negotiated a 10% cut for the movie's profit as well with Marlon Brando being the big dog around here they imagined this pitbull kind of appearance from the novel on this character Vito so what they did was they stuffed his cheeks with cotton for the audition and he got the role simply because of that and he could talk through it he beat out Orson Welles for this role, who was really fighting for the role of Vito Corleone. When they started filming the role, he had a mouthpiece instead of cotton that made his cheeks bigger. It's interesting because Marlon won the Oscar and Al Pacino was annoyed he didn't get nominated. And I said earlier, he didn't have more than an hour of screen time. But not only that, he didn't even learn his lines for this role. He was reading off cue cards in a movie. They were done in a way where his acting involved him around him looking at the uh, cue cards directly. The cinematographer was deliberately insisting that every shot represents a viewpoint point in the movie, so the camera was usually only about four feet off the ground in all of the scenes. Keeping the angle flat, which makes the cue card reading for actors quite easy. But initially the point and angle of the camera is mainly due to the symbolic aspects more than Marlon Brando reading off his cues. The two just happen to coincide. In the movie I think there's actually only one aerial shot in the movie and that's where Vito is actually shot. And like I said it's very symbolic because it represents God's point of view. And I think that's the only one in the movie. Everything else is quite static. Now, Marlon, I think, did deserve the Oscar. It's just so iconic, despite not knowing the lines, the screen time. He was even a practical joker on set when they're carrying his body up the stairs. He added weight to himself to make it harder for them, and he thought it was quite funny. And Scott Kahn even started this mooning game to break the tension of the serious themes in this movie. And, um, you know, and Marlon Brando joined in, and then it just started to be everyone mooning each other at some points. But we can all agree, though, with all that aside, he deserved that Oscar, much to Pacino's annoyance. Now, Coppola deliberately left some things in the movie because of how authentic it was. I mean, the guy who plays Luca Brazi was so scared with working with a legend in the name of Marlon Brando, he fluffed his lines up and he looks so scared in that scene. And that scene is actually left in the movie. However, the dubbed... The speech because he was shaking and he couldn't say his lines properly. But they've um, they've left that entire scene in the movie, which I thought was quite a good move from Francis Ford Coppola. Even the scene at the start with the cat. I mean, that was muffling Marlon Brando's performance because, because the cat was purring and playing. It was just a random cat they found in the alley of the studios, and they used it in the movie. I mean, in that scene, his lines are a little muffled, and that's because the cat's affecting the microphones. And when I was watching this film the other day to do this podcast, there was a scene all in Italian or Sicilian and it had no subtitles and I thought my remote was broken or something was wrong. And luckily, I've got an Italian girlfriend who translated it for me, but I was reading about that scene actually. And it turns out when Salozo speaks to Michael in Sicilian, he is speaking so quickly that the subtitles could not be used at all and it was just left for interpretation. And that was also left because the performances were so good in that scene they didn't want to reshoot it. Now, the scene where Michael meets McCluskey and Solozo and guns them down is cinematic beauty at its best because we know why he's there. We know what he's been instructed to do. And what Francis Ford Coppola does is he adds suspense to the scene where Michael shoots Salozo and McCluskey. There are several instances in that scene where Michael fails to follow Clemenza's instructions. So for that scene, I mean, Clemenza tells him to come out blasting after retrieving the gun. Instead, he sits down and continues to listen to Salozo. Clemenza then tells him two shots and a head a piece. Michael kills Saloza with a single shot then fails to kill McCluskey with the first shot requiring a second and then Clemenza tells him don't look nobody in the eye but don't look away neither. Michael actually makes eye contact with several people in the restaurant. Clemenza tells him to drop the gun right away. Michael actually takes several steps with the gun still in his hand before he drops it. And finally, Clemenza instructs him to let the gun drop from his fingers so people still think he has it. Michael flicks the gun away as though he's forgotten to leave it. It creates so much tension especially when he just sits down coming back from the toilet knowing he was meant to have killed them right away. The scene is is just incredibly tense because there's so much build-up to it. Some speculation, though, that he waits until the t- train crosses so the sound drains away the gunshot. But we don't know. It might be that, and it's just a sign of his legacy that he doesn't take orders, that he's going to do things his way. But the point is we are led to believe one thing, and he does the complete opposite, and it creates a beautiful tense scene. And it's quite a cool observation as well. But if you notice that he doesn't actually drink that much wine or any wine in this movie since he's Sicilian, he drinks a lot of water, which is explained in the third movie when he's in a diabetic coma. So Michael Corleone is diabetic, hence him not drinking wine. And there's also a scene when he's in Sicily, which, by the way, he wasn't in Sicily because Sicily was way too developed to look like the 1950s back in 1970s. So they shot it in northern Italy, some town there. But anyways, Michael constantly has a handkerchief and wipes his nose and this has become a trend with people now but it's explained in an interview that because he has a sinus problem from the um, from when McCluskey hits him at the start of the movie which was another small touch to the authenticity of this movie realising that they add to these small details that people usually just brush their eyes over so you have all these really interesting parts of filmmaking to Advise or even suggest something else later on in the movie. I mean, we all know the myth and somewhat reality of every time you see an orange, it foreshadows a death or a near death experience. But what is better is the little gimmicks that you see when the, when, you know, like when he's wiping his nose and the deliberate disobeying of orders to further the character. And even with the scene when Sonny is gunned down, which by the way was done exactly like Bonnie and Clyde, and I think that was done purposefully, by the way, the guy kicks Sonny in the head at the end, which is exactly what Sonny does to Carlo, which tells us that Carlo is the one that sets him up. So you don't need to look. So you just need to look a little closer to these scenes to realise where the story is going and who's betrayed who. I mean, I could talk on and on about this film. It's a film you do need to witness in one sitting. And please, once you've allowed yourself to watch this film, watch the second one, because it's a rare thing when the second one supersedes the first. It's a film about family, loyalty, and trust. It's about Italian heritage and what it is to be a family. I mean, the wedding scene at the start expresses the love for family, for respect, for enjoying the moment. I mean, a good piece of trivia about that scene the entire scene, which is all apparently in daytime, was actually shot at night. Really hard to picture that scene because it's quite famous and it's all in daytime. The cameramen were not happy. They had to rig so many lights everywhere to make it look like daytime. It's just so they had more time to shoot the scenes and they really wanted to show us the audience the values of being a family and really just show the togetherness in the opening 20 minutes while juxtaposing with Vito Corleone doing his business and reminding everyone that he can make them an offer they won't refuse. Well, that's all i have time for with the godfather it goes without saying it's a classic and it's one of my favorite films and it's sad because in time it will be a film like citizen kane is to the last generation a film that is a big deal but no one likes because no one has given it a chance in all its glory i applaud you i applaud this generation to watch it if you haven't already anyways this is film exploration with ashari talking about 70s movies and please review me on itunes google or spotify or follow me on instagram film exploration ah all lowercase or one word and once again thank you for listening to my podcast on the godfather